Well, why don't we start? Others will probably come in. Uh, I'm going to pray and commit this to the Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this uh, beautiful morning. It's the Lord's Day morning. It's resurrection morning. We thank you that Jesus lives. Because he lives, we, live, we will live also. We thank you that Jesus rose victorious over sin, death, and hell, and the grave. We thank you, Father, that uh, we, we have uh, a victory in, in the name of Jesus. And uh, as we consider our passage, we pray that you'd open our ears to hear, open our hearts to understand, open our, our lives to obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the middle of the book of Romans, and uh, Romans is a highlight in the Christian life and experience. <clears throat> the, the book of Romans follows a, a pattern which is very, I think, very clear to me, and that is, it is it's introducing us to the, the uh, salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's sort of like a timeline of how a person comes to Christ, gets saved, and moves on from there. Uh, in, in Romans 1 and 2, uh, he talks about God's uh, 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 salvation and how it's important to, to live by faith. He talks about sin and, and how sin is the thing that's going to ultimately kill us because it separates us from God. A holy God has to judge sin. Romans 3, he says, uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God but we're justified freely by, by his grace. And uh, so in Romans 3 and, 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 and with a good example of Abraham in Romans 4, we get saved when we get to that point of, of the book of Romans. We hear the gospel and we respond to God's offer of grace and we trust him and we're justified. But that's only the beginning of the Christian life. The Lord wants to take us on from there to maturity in the Christian life. And so, in chapter 5 and verse 2, he says, he says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And as soon as he, he talks about hope of glory, he's getting our eyes to look forward to the, the, what's coming and uh, to, to the, the, uh, the further work of God in our lives. In chapter 6, he calls us to get baptized. And... Uh, uh, that's the next step in the Christian life. We get saved, and then we get baptized in Romans chapter 6. And what is baptism all about? Uh, what, do, what does baptism mean to you? What is it? What are we saying when we get baptized? Okay, We're, we, it, it's a sign that we've accepted Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Uh, it looks back to the cross and says, I'm with that person who died for me. But baptism all, also looks forward. It looks forward. And sometimes we miss this forward look of baptism because it's an intention to live for God. And if you're going to live for God, the old life inside of you has to die so that the new life can flourish. And so it's a picture of dying to self in order to live for God. 
And that's the, that's the future look of, of baptism. It's, I'm, I'm dead to the old life of sin. And I'm alive in Christ. And I'm going to live for Jesus. So we, we get this uh, wonderful uh, uh, picture of an, our intent to move forward in, in obedience to Christ. And everything is honky-dory. We've just come out of the waters of baptism in the first few days of our, of our baptized experience. We're walking uh, in, in, um, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and it's wonderful. And then something happens. You get into Romans 7, and what happens? What happens in Romans 7? Somebody tell me what happens in Romans 7. Come on. The struggle with sin. Trouble with sin. Oh, my goodness me, it's still around. See, I've still got that old nature that, that, that responds to sin. And, and then I try to throw the law at it, and I say, well, I must be a better person. I have to try harder to be a better person. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to keep the law. And as soon as I try to keep the law, what happens? Yeah? How much power does the law have to keep me from sin? Zero. You see, the law warns me about sin. The law teaches me about the holiness of God. The law is holy and just and good. But the law has absolutely no power to save me. Absolutely none. It can only condemn me. All right? It's like the police officer. All right? We saw one on the way to church this morning, and I slowed down because <laughs> saw the police officer. The police officer does not stand at the corner and reward me for driving nicely. It, he, doesn't, he doesn't give me power to, to, uh, to drive well. All he does is condemn me if he catches me breaking the law. And that's what the law does. It just it condemns us. So as soon as we say, I've got to keep the law better, we're in trouble. And, and in Romans chapter 7, Paul groans. He says, who will deliver me from the body of this death? And uh, 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 because he, he was self-condemned. And then Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says this. Can somebody tell me what Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is? It's one of those verses that Christians need to memorize. Thank you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So uh, he, he, he tells me this, you see, but once I'm saved, I'm delivered from the condemnation of the law. I don't have to answer primarily to the law anymore. Who do I answer to? I answer to Christ. He is the one that I answer to. I don't answer to the law first. I answer to Christ first. And once again, the law is perfectly acceptable. The law teaches me about the righteousness of God. But it is Christ who gives me the power to overcome. So when we get into Romans chapter 8, what do we get? What do we get in Romans chapter 8 that we don't get in Romans chapter 7? We get encouragement. We get power. Romans 8 is your power chapter. 16 times in the book of, in Romans chapter 8, you get the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. Right. And the Spirit controls me and empowers me to rise above the sinful nature, to
to give me the, the, the strength to overcome the sinful nature. It is by reliance on the power of God that I am sanctified and am able to live the Christian life. It is not by self-effort. That's the key in understanding Romans chapter 8. Jesus didn't just pay for my sins so that I could be saved. That's wonderful. He has given me the Holy Spirit, the power of God, so that I could be sanctified, so that I could become a holy person, a person who, who walks in accordance with God's desires. It's fantastic. Right? So Romans 8 is your power chapter. It's being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And having your mind fixed upon, not on what you've got to do, and, and I've got to keep the law, and, and I'm looking down here, I've got, to, I've got to obey and I've got to keep the law. You look up and your mind is set on the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, empower me so that I could live for you. Right. As soon as I do that, I am walking by faith once again. I'm not walking in, in, in a slavish obedience to the law. I'm walking by faith in the grace of God, in the, in the power of, of God through the, uh, uh, through the Holy Spirit to, to, uh, to uh, uh, live the Christian life. Now let's just, we've got to talk a little bit about the fact that there is some, there's some bad news in Romans chapter. There's, there's great good news, but there's a little bit of bad news, and that is this. Christians still suffer. Just because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, does that mean that we're free from suffering? No, no, we're not free from suffering. Because he says in verse 17, now if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, that's the good side. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. When you say a little trial, the Christians in the Ukraine aren't going through a little trial right now. I see there's a lot of people, there's a lot of Christians in this world who are going through big trials, life-threatening trials. They're, 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 some of them are martyrs for the Lord Jesus. You see, this, the trials are there. But he says in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy, are not worth comparing with the glory that be, will be revealed in us. And in these verses, which I'm just going to read from 18 to 29, and you're going to tell me about the three parties, the three persons or the three entities that suffer. Okay. All right. So I'm going to read it. I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. 
Who hopes for what he is already for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. All right. Tell me about the three different groanings here. Creation is groaning. All right? Christians groan. And the Holy Spirit groans. That's interesting. All of creation around us is groaning. Why is creation groaning? It, it, should, it, it, it should have been a perfect creation and, and have lived forever, but what happened? Man sinned, and what happened to creation? It, yeah, came under, came under the curse, decayed, died, see? And so creation is groaning because it's not the way it ought to be. This is not a perfect creation anymore. It's beautiful, but it's not perfect because it's been marred by sin, by man's sin. And so creation is seen as groaning, groaning, waiting for the day when it will be delivered from its bondage to decay. Who else is groaning? Us. Us. We're groaning. I don't know about you, but I, I have some groaning in my life, you know. <laughs> if I sit too long. Even if I sit on the sofa for a little while, I try to get up, but I go, oh! I tell Kathy, give me a little push. i got to get up here. <laughs> I'm groaning. But that's the least of our troubles, you see. We groan because of our sin. We groan because we're subject to the curse. Our bodies are still subject to the curse, and they're going to die, right? Our spirits are alive, but our bodies are still living under the curse, and one day our bodies are going to be delivered from the curse, and that's what it says that uh, 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 in verse, uh, verse 23 and 24, yeah. Uh, uh, not only so, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, you see, redemption is in three phases. There's the redemption of the spirit, there's the redemption of the soul, there's the redemption of the body. Uh, God's saving us in three phases. Salvation of the spirit is when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and we're born again, we get the Holy Spirit. We get into Romans chapter 4 and 5 and, and we got, we're, we're, we're born again. But then... The redemption of our souls is a process. It's a process of, 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 of transforming our lives. And that's the groaning part. The groaning part is, is our souls need to be transformed. Our minds need to be renewed. And so we're groaning because we got growing pains. Growing pains. And that's what the Christian experience is all about. It's all about growing pains, growing up in Christ is, is, not, is a pleasant experience on the one hand because we see I'm not the person I was. That's a pleasant experience, but it's also a difficult experience because we're not yet the persons we ought to be. 
And so God is working us to prepare us for, for that, that glory, that glory of spiritual maturity, and we groan as well. But what is the surprising thing in verse 26 and 27? The Spirit groans within us. Isn't that something? Now what this tells us, what does this tell us about the personality of the Holy Spirit? What does it tell us? Yes. What does it tell us about his personality? He feels. I groan because I feel. Right? I feel. That the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not just a force. It's not just some kind of an inanimate entity, you see. Uh, a lot of people describe the Holy Spirit as somehow not a person. Well, this verse is, and other verses tell us the Holy Spirit is just as much a person as, as, as God the Father, as, as God the Son, and, and as ourselves. Right? Because the Holy Spirit groans. He feels pain. And what does he feel? What is the pain that he feels? He feels our pain. In other words, he's sympathetic with us. And he's groaning along with us. And, and so here's another beautiful picture of the Spirit. He, he, he doesn't just empower us and control us as we yield to him so that we can get a victorious Christian life. But all the way along, he's a sympathetic counselor. He's a sympathetic person who's groaning at our troubles, at groaning with our weakness and, and uh, 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 interceding for us with with groans that cannot be expressed. Somebody's, somebody loves us. Somebody cares for us. <laughs> somebody wants us to get the victory. And the Holy Spirit is that person here in, the, in these verses. It's wonderful. Let's go on. For, any questions about that, by the way? Any questions about that? Uh, all right, let's, let's, uh, let's read... Uh, Verse 28 to 30. <clears throat> and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So, these verses are a beehive of activity. These, these verses are a real, what uh, uh, big load of, of doctrine. There's a lot of teaching here. And we've got to try to unpack it. Because uh, once you get doctrine like this, you get conflict in, 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 uh, uh, amongst Christians. What does it mean? What does it mean? So let's try and unpack it. Uh, first of all, verse 28. God, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What does that mean? In all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. What does that mean? To conform us more to him and his likeness. 
And I think in the context, that's exactly what, it's, what the good is, right? I think, I think the good, the benefit here that, that, that is being talked about, according to the context, is that those sufferings and those groanings that we're, we're experiencing are ultimately going to benefit us. Now, we, we may not see, the, see it in the short term, right? When, when you're groaning and you're in pain and you're in trials, and you're, you're getting uh, cast about in life, uh, we don't always see the benefit. I've shared with you that my son has cancer, and uh, uh, he's struggling with, uh, with cancer. And I, he's feeling pretty good these days. He's not groaning these days, but there may be groaning days to come. We trust not. We trust that the Lord heals it. But, uh, but Chris might think to himself, why do I have cancer? When others around me who are not Christians and who are not spiritual don't have cancer. Why did, why did Chris get cancer? And uh, th that the question is a big one for, for Christians uh, who are struggling with, with uh, uh, war, who are struggling with uh, destitution, who are struggling with uh, relational conflicts, all sorts of things, struggling with financial, with poverty, with financial need, and uh, 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 struggling because they're Christians and, and, uh, and people around them hate the, the word of Christ and, and they're being persecuted for their faith. All of those things can cause us to, to groan and question, well, is, is God really for me? Is God good? Is he, is he, is he going to do good for me? Because this, is, this, this, does, this doesn't feel good. Have you been there? Have you been there? Doesn't feel good. And sometimes if I'm in suffering, this verse is kind of, it, it, it's kind of a slap to some people if you just read this verse out of context because it says, well, this is, not, this is not a loving God. Why would he give me such trouble if I am following him and, and he gives me all this trouble? What's happening? This verse is difficult for people if they're going through trials to say, you know what, it's for your own good. <laughs> it's for your own good. When my mother used to discipline me, that's what she used to say. I'm doing this for your own good. <laughs> I think, oh yeah, <laughs> right. Why are you doing that, mother? <laughs> uh, doing it for your own good. But it's painful. But this is something that I have to believe. It's so important that I believe this. See, God is working for our good. And uh, 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 in all things, whatever is happening in your life, God knew it was going to happen, right? He knows all the painful and bitter experiences that we have in life. He knows all the troubles that we're facing. And he says, he says don't you worry. It's all going to work out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to use everything. I'm going to use all your groaning. I'm going, to, I'm going to use all your tears to finally bring you to glory. Nothing is wasted in, in God's economy. Everything is being used by God to bring us to that glorious climax in life. Any comments on that? We wouldn't be growing. That's right. 
So when we're groaning, we need to remember that we're growing. <laughs> Those two things got to go together. I'm groaning, but I'm growing because the Lord is working for my good. But then he's, oh, go ahead. And for his purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. And so he goes on uh, to uh, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now this word predestination divides the church just doom, just like that. All right. Predestination. Because there's a whole segment of the believing church, the whole segment of, of the Christian church. We're not talking about, about uh, apostates or unbelieving church. There's a whole segment of the church that believes this, that the predestination here is the determining who is going to be saved from their sins and who is not going to be saved from their sins. And so people of of that persuasion who, who say that, that, that this predestination is God chose people in eternity past. He chose the ones who were going to be saved and he chose the ones who were going to be lost. Have you heard that? Hmm? Yeah, I heard it, but don't believe it. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Okay. Does this, do, do these verses say that that's what it is? Because predestination means God has chosen the destination beforehand. That's what predestination means. So has he predestinated people to get saved and predestined others to get lost? What do you think of that teaching? And you know what? That, that is the hinge of the argument. The hinge of the argument is this. If God determined beforehand who was going to get saved and who was not going to get saved, then there's no free will in it. You're right. Yeah. What if we could just close those now? I don't think anybody else is going to come in. As much as I like the music, it's hard to... That's good. Thanks, Willie. you got more muscles than me. All right. Thank you. That was a good point, sorry, Judy, a good point you made, that if God chooses people to get saved and chooses others to get lost, it means that he doesn't love the people who he chooses to get lost. And what does the Bible say? You got a verse that counteracts that? John 3.16, what does it say?
Yes. That, see, John 3.16 counteracts that teaching. Because if, if God chose people to be lost, he never really loved them in the first place. I think that that would counteract his sacrifice. Like, why would he go and sacrifice himself if he's only doing half of the world and leaving the other half of God? Well, the, the people might say, well, he sacrificed for us, the chosen ones, and not for everybody else, you see. And that's what's called the limited atonement. Jesus died for only for the elect. Okay. And, and, and other verses say he died not for our sins and not for ours only, but for the whole world, it says in 1 John. For the whole world. And uh, uh, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Right. These are good verses which tell us this, you see. God did not choose people to go to hell. If that's the case, that he didn't choose people to be saved, uh, uh, he, didn't, he didn't predestine people to be saved, and, and he didn't predestine people to be lost, what does this verse mean? Now we've got to figure out the verse. Because right? now we just, we've just learned what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we're predestined to be saved or lost. What does he say? First of all, verse 29, God foreknew. What does that mean? Yeah, but was that foreknowledge? A plan is different than foreknowledge. What is foreknowledge? Seeing the future. Seeing the future. All right. See, God is omniscient. That, what it's saying here is that because God is omniscient, he sees the future as clearly as he sees the present. God is omniscient. He sees the future as clear as a bell. And his dealings in these verses are based upon foreknowledge, seeing the future, not planning the future right now. All right? He sees the future. And based upon what he sees, he purposes to do something. It says... For those whom, who God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So he set a destiny. And what is the destiny? What is, what is, him, what is the plan here? What is the destiny and who is it for? That's it. That's it. This is the predestination part of it. People who become Christians have a sure destiny. You become a Christian, you will be in heaven, you will be like Jesus, you will be conformed to the image of his son. It is assured by God. God just doesn't see it. God now makes a plan for it. All God's children are going to get to glory. None will be lost. None will be lost. That's the predestination part of it. You have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son who is Jesus Christ. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What do you think that means? Because he came into this world to save us. So without him, we would 
Yep, he's the first. He's the older brother, right? The firstborn amongst many brothers. In other words, what are we going to look like when we get to heaven? Who are we going to look like when we get to heaven? We're going to look like Jesus, right? We're going to look like Jesus. We're going to have the moral character of our Savior. And that is what our destiny is. If Christians only realized this, you see, if, if we realized it, we would say, all right, God's got me, and he's got me on this path, and I'm heading this way, I might as well agree with him, not fight it. All right, I'm, I'm going to be like Jesus. I, I better start preparing now, because this is my destiny. This is the sure future of the Christian life. And he's been saying it several times over. In, in, in verse uh, 17, he says that we may share in his glory. We're going to share in his glory. And then it says in verse 21, the creation brought into the, uh, into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We're going to be glorious free, gloriously free. See? And so he, it, it's a sure thing. And what the Holy Spirit does is assure me that this is my destiny. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He says, come on, Jim. This is where you're heading. This is your destiny. Because sometimes we can lose our way. Sometimes in the Christian life we lose our way. We say, what's it all for? What's, what's, the, what's the future? What's coming? Well, this is what's coming. You're going to be in glory. You're going to be transformed to be like Jesus. Sometimes we lose hope because we lose this, this assurance of, of our divine, uh, of our of our glorious future with, with the Son of God. Yeah. And and one of the one of the ways he attacks us is in the area of hope. You don't have a future. Look at how bad you are. Look at how much you failed. You know, I'm back in Romans chapter 7, just like Paul. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? I can't get past my sins. And, and uh, the devil comes and says, you're not going to make it. You're just a fake Christian. You know, you can't, you can't hack it. You can't do it. And uh, so down I go into, into despair because I, I've lost hope. I've lost that, that hope, that sure hope that God has promised me. I'm going to tell you a little story about what happened to me when I was in medical school at the University of Toronto. I was a country boy, came from Windsor, and when I got to Toronto and I looked around at the 180 or so people who were in the class, I thought to myself, I don't even belong here, I'm just a country bumpkin. And uh, I didn't know anybody, and it seemed everybody looked uh, smarter than me. And uh, I remember when I was in, in uh, one of the classes, we were doing a lab and we were looking through microscopes at some, some specimens and I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. And uh, the, the lab attendant, not the professor, but the lab attendant, Harry, who, who took care of all of the microscopes and everything, saw me struggling. And, he, and I had a little badge on, by the way. The badge said uh, Jim Rennie. It was the name of, it just identified me as a student so I could get into the lab. And... Uh, uh, he came by and he noticed that I was struggling, so he stood by me and he leaned over at, at, my, at my desk and he said, can I help you, Dr. Reddy? 
I was in first year. I was in first year medicine. I had four more years to go before I would ever be called a doctor. But you know what he did? He gave me confidence. He says, can I help? That's the first time I ever heard anybody say, Dr. Reddy. <laughs> and, and it was long before I ever became a doctor. You see. Now that's what the Lord is doing here for us. You see, the Holy Spirit comes and he says, you're going to be sanctified. You're going to be perfected in righteousness. Don't lose hope. This is your future. You've been predestined to this, this, this destiny. You see. And so don't, don't, don't believe the lies. And the Holy Spirit gives me this sureness, this security, this sense that, that I'm going to get there. I'm not going to be lost. And that is the, that's the blessedness of this, this, uh, this teaching here in, in, in uh, 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 these verses. Because he says not only conformed to the likeness of his son in verse 29, that, uh, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those he predestined, he also called. It was a day when I was called. And those he called, he justified. That's back in Romans chapter 3 and 4 and 5. And those he justified, he also glorified. So you see, it's, it's, it's just one, going from one step to the next. And... and it's going to happen because the Lord has told me that it's, that it's going to happen. Any question about those verses? What about uh, verse 31 here? What then shall we say in response to this? What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, if the, the greatest person in the universe says that this is going to happen to you, who is anybody to doubt that? Who is anybody to trip us up? Who is anybody to get us off this path to glory? It's nobody. If God is for us, who can be against us? And verse 32 is one of my favorite verses. He who did not spare his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all, how shall he not, along with him, freely give us all things? If you're ever doubting that God loves you, you look back at Jesus. You look back at what happened at the cross. In order to save you, who did God give? He gave his son. And he did not spare his own son. In other words, he agreed for his own dear son to be sacrificed on the cross so that you and, and I could be saved. The cross is the answer to the doubting heart. It's the answer to the doubting heart. What we do is, is look back at the price of our redemption and we say, oh, God loves me. God loves me because Jesus died for me. And that is what, that's where our faith needs to be centered. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And if he gave up his own son, 
which, which is the best of heaven. All right? He gave heaven's best when he gave, when he gave Jesus. Then he's surely going to give us the rest. If he's given us the best, then in God's good time, he's going to give us all the rest. Right? How shall he not, along with giving us Jesus, along with him, graciously give us all things? So we can expect all the rest, all the rest of the blessings. Because we've already gotten the best blessing, which is the gift of the Son of God. Are you receiving those blessings today? They're, they're blessings upon blessings, right? Good things that God gives us as we go through life, just to assure us. But sometimes when we, we're not receiving all those good things, we think, oh boy, God doesn't love me anymore. And we look back at the cross. He will graciously give us all things. So he, he, he now is in the, he goes into the courtroom in these next verses. And, and uh, uh, these are, this is a kind of a legal argument. In verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? So if you're going to be taken to court, the first thing that happens is they, they'd send a, uh, they bring a charge against you. They bring a charge against you. Who is going to charge any of God's children? Well, the answer is nobody, because who is the one who justifies us? By the way, what does justification mean? That's right, just as if I didn't do it. Or in, the, in, the, in this context, a charge has been brought against me. Justification means I've been cleared of all charges. Justified means the account has been settled. I'm cleared of all the charges. Cleared. And it's just as if I hadn't sinned. Although I did sin. The charges have been dropped. So no, I'm not, I'm, I don't have any charges against me anymore. I'm justified. Now, okay, what if, who is, who is he, who condemns? In other words, who brings the charge? Well, I don't have any charges against me anymore. And, and who is the person who condemns? Now, because after they've given you the charge, they, they now render a sentence against you. They, they, they render the sentence, and that's the condemnation. Who is he condemned? Who, who condemns? Well, does Christ Jesus condemn me? What does it say in the verse? What is Christ doing, on the other hand? He's not condemning me. He's interceding for me. All right? We got the opposite. He's not saying, all right, Jim Rennie sinned. It's time for him to, 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 to uh, for sentence to be passed against him. Nope. Jesus is doing the very opposite. The one who died for me and rose again from the dead is at the right hand of God and is interceding for me. He's on my side. He's not condemning me. So there's, there's no charge uh, that, that remains against me. There's no condemnation. And then finally, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is, 
nothing, nothing in all creation can separate us from, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So the three things, you see, who's going to charge me? No, God justifies, he doesn't charge. Who's going to condemn me? No, Jesus isn't condemning me, he's, he's actually praying for me. And who's going to separate me? Who's going to, who's going to, the sentence, once I'm condemned, the sentence needs to be carried out. I'm separated from God forever, because that's the condemnation for sin, right? The, the, the wages of sin is death, separation from God forever, right? And, and I'm never going to pay that price. I'm never going to pay it, pay it because the, the, the scriptures say here that there is no separation. Let's read these verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are con uh, considered as sheep to be slaughtered. The Christians were going through trials at the, in that time and they were being hunted down by the authorities. Both Jew and, uh, Jewish authorities and Gentile authorities were on their tails. Say, say. If anyone could list all of those hardships, it would be Paul. It would be Paul himself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he says, none of those separate us from the love of Christ. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What is it more than a conqueror? What, what do you think that, that is? It's, it's an interesting phrase. Yeah, more than a conqueror. Yeah, it's not just, it's not just I, I, I defeated my foes. I've entered in all to, into all the glory of the victory, right? I'm more than a conqueror. I've, 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 I've not just defeated my foes. I've, I, I, they're so far gone, and I've entered into such glorious uh, uh, victory in my life, right? It's, a, it's, it's a really a, a superlative statement of how gloriously God can deliver me from all the troubles of life. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers... And he puts those powers in because I've got the greater power of God in me. The, the, uh, whatever power rises against me cannot defeat me, not even the demonic power. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once again, another memory verse. Romans is full of memory verses. We should m remember these verses. And, and, and this is... Nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's a memory verse. If you haven't memorized it, get to it, you see. Put it in your memory bank, because that's one that you've got to remember. See, there's no separation. So when you're feeling beaten and you're, you're feeling uh, uh, all that hardship and all that danger and all that sword, never think that you are separated from God and, and alone. Never. Remember the verse. Right? Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Any questions on that? Any comments?
Yes. From beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, the steps you need to take to live a godly life, how to live, how to act. And if there is no other love letter like this, you Thank you, Rose. That's true. It's a love letter. Any other thoughts? Okay, well, people are gathering. Looks like it sounds like a crowd out there. So let's join them. Yeah. Well, there's a little groaning out there as well. <laughs> let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for this beautiful chapter of Romans chapter 8. And Lord, help us uh, not just to know the contents of it, but to believe it and to live in the victory of it. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.